Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions. You've got me, your host, Ryan Reiser. Today, we're joined by Chet Lovgren, aka the Sales Doctor. Chet brings over 10 years of sales experience to this conversation, a very strong passion around content. You're going to enjoy this conversation as we talk about how sales reps can incorporate content in their process, as well as some of the more interesting conversations around how to address pricing, as well as negotiations in the sales process. Tune in. You're going to enjoy the show. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Revenue Champions. Uh, you got me, the host, Ryan Reiser, and I am here today with a, a passionate, fired-up guest, Chet. You want to introduce yourself to uh, those who may not know you. Who does Chet be in this world? Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. Um, Chet, Chet Lovgren. I'm, I call myself the sales doctor, self-proclaimed title. Nobody gave that title to me. So it's, it's probably not well, uh, well-deserved or well-earned. It was just, uh, I think they said you can't give yourself nicknames, but nobody wanted to give me a nickname. So I said, screw it. And I went, went forward and gave my own nickname. I'm not part of the cool kids club anymore. So I, I nobody wanted to give me a nickname. I had to go make my own club. Um, but yeah, just, uh, you know, really passionate, above and beyond just talking about like sales tactics and methodologies and things, which you can find from a number of people online that are really smart in that space. I really like pursuing things that people don't think about traditionally. A uh, big one for me is like, like content creation, right? I'm, I'm a huge fan of content, huge fan of, of content creation, not just to create something to put out there to get your name out there, but more importantly, to actually drive um, some education to people, right? Um, I have my own podcast. When I first started it, I would get like eight to 10 viewers an episode and somebody asked me after like eight episodes, does that bother you that you have like a hundred collective downloads across eight episodes? I said, no, because that means either one person went and listened to my ass talk for a you know, hundred times and found some interesting insight or a hundred people listened to it once and found something interesting. And that's at the end of the day, all that really matters. I mean, that's, you know, people, people so many times want to jump out on their own and be their own entrepreneur and start making all this money and all these things. But it's that collective experience over time. Um, that leads people to become the best founders and entrepreneurs. And so I think over time, you continue making content, you continue making mistakes, and you just grow time and time again. So while sales doctors in the name, we could talk about sales forever, but I kind of like talking to more in line about the things that I think can affect your pipeline that people don't traditionally think about. One yep. of those big things being content creation and cross-collaboration alignment with other departments. Amazing. Well, I think this can be a really solid conversation today. It's clear you're pretty passionate about this. And, and what kicked off this topic uh, was around hey, cold calling is on life support. And a lot of times it's because we're not supporting it with things like content. And so uh, obviously I'm a massive believer in the phone, but I also understand the power of content. Uh, like you, uh, you know, I started doing the live cold calling. Um, uh, about two two years ago, two and a half years ago now, James uh, James Bodden um, was right at the beginning of that with me and um, uh, producing the show on the back end. And I think I had half a person showing up for a long time, a long time uh, on Twitch. And I think that half a person was James uh, doing the show, like trying to play with stuff. And so, um, but you know, you just commit to that kind of core belief that if somebody just one person can get some value from it it uh, it kind of snowballs and if i didn't do that two and a half years ago well we wouldn't be talking today right uh, because of um the work that that live show did it, it helped uh people realize the ideas i have around cold calling and ultimately led to uh 
the brand ambassador role I have now with Cognizant and, and how people think about the phone. They think about me in a lot of ways. And so, um, but I'm a huge fan that if you're just calling, it's not enough. You've got to be able to compound that conversation into relevant content and meet your buyer where they want to receive information. And most often it's not going to be with an ambush call, right? That's just the starting point. It's a great entry point to break through the noise. But um, how do you feel about content creation? I know you talked about it a little bit ahead of time, but how do you think about content creation when it comes to the individual versus the organization? Is that the company's job or is it the rep's job uh, to create the content necessary to make us successful when we're calling? Great question. It's everybody's job. TLDR. It's everybody's job. Uh, marketing already knows that it's their job and I'm not here to, you know, poop on marketing, but they got to do a better job of it because, you know, I've, I've worked across eight different companies two as a sales leader in the last three years, and I've seen zero marketing people reach out to the people at the company that are talking to prospects all day long to create their collateral. And so that's a big problem, right? So we got to do a better job. We got to do a more qualitative job of it. We got to quit gating our content. Nobody wants to call your gated leads anyway, right? No, somebody downloaded a webinar, nobody, white paper, industry report, you know, your SDRs and AEs don't want to talk to that person anyway. And, and reality is that person is probably neither educated nor warm enough to actually buy. Um, maybe after like three downloads in a row and you're using some sort of sentiment score, I, I get that, right? But like a first content piece, like stop calling content, right? It should be demo or pricing for inbound, right? Everything else should be outbound, ABS strategy. Um, so marketing has to do a better job, but it also falls on salespeople and CS people as well. They need to create content in their industry and people will get a really up in it about, well, you know, I have this awesome TikTok and I don't want to mix my work and my personal. Guess what? It's really easy to create multiple accounts on things now. So just go create another TikTok, make that your TikTok for your industry. You work in the steel industry or you work in logistics, like go become someone that's spreading that information in that industry and not just, not just the what, but also the how I think we were talking a little bit earlier, like, you know, especially with like TikTok, it's a lot of like, if you want to do better at business, you should get referrals. If you want to do better at cold calling, you should use a script and get training. Well, yeah, no duh, but like how, so talk more about the how, like, okay, so how do I get a job? Like, how do I, how do I write a good resume that stands out? How do I avoid all the ATS filters? Um, you know, how should I take a personality test? So I'm saying the things that the sales leader that's hiring wants to hear, because at the end of the day, I would be a good hire, but maybe there's some precognitive bias built into that assessment test that doesn't serve my background appropriately and kind of, you know, pushes me off to the side. So there's like, there's tons of like informational, tiny little nuggets of information you can, you can give people to educate them. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of the Gary V just post, 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 post. But especially on TikTok, if you're mixing, if you want to post three times a day, you know, you can post one comedic. What I do with sales doctors, I post one comedic thing. I post one educational thing. I'll typically get a question from someone on that educational thing and you can respond to a question with a video. So then there's my third one, right? So really, I'm only creating one piece of content, but I'm posting every day. I do believe you should post every day. But it's okay, too, if the post isn't, if we're talking now LinkedIn, some big, long, super special spaced out, correctly formatted type thing, you could post something really simple, but post something insightful. Don't keep telling people what they should do, but more importantly, show them how. And a lot of people go, well, well how, you know, how do you do that? Right. I'm telling people what to do. <laughs> how well, do, how do, do you do it? <laughs> right. Well, how do you do that? Well, work hand in hand with your marketing team, right? Part of the reason someone would go to buy something 
And part of the is because they want the education, right? They want to know a better way to do it. I've been evaluating some tools lately, some sales engagement tools. We know the the the, the holy trinity of sales engagement tools out there, but I'm I'm looking at some different ones because what I'm doing right now is not super call focused. So maybe I can pay lower for something else because they don't have that robust call functionality that you get out of you know certain products. And every call, it's interesting that I find myself asking them, "Well, how do you do this?" And they tell me, and I'm like, right. that's interesting. Even though I've been hired to consult for people before, I'm still learning myself. And so they yeah. are the expert. And, and, and you know why? And I don't know if I can mention software companies here, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know why Vidyard is the expert on like how to send an intro email? Because they have over 1,000 customers and 25,000 users. I'm just one person. Right. So they have the collective knowledge of 25,000 people and their data and their statistics and their best practices. I just have one. And so it's a similar thing. Like when I was working with Pavilion, I would always tell the, the sales development reps, I'm like, you got to understand, we have 10,000 members. We have over 150 B2B customers. You talk to a sales leader about training, professional development, mentorship, and career support. They've maybe been a VP of sales twice and maybe a sales leader once before that as a director. So they have three times of experience. We have this vast 10,000 member base and 150 business base of experience. We are the experts. And so work hand in hand with the information that you gather from the people in your company. Customer success can get you a lot of data points, right? A lot of statistics. They can help filter in the case studies for marketing. Marketing can provide those case studies. I am a fan of case studies. I'm a fan of a case study that lists the company you're talking about, their before state, their after state, and three bullet points. I'm not a fan of a five-page case study that I have to decipher that has a bunch of confusing <laughs> graphics because somebody in branding had to give their cousin a job, right? Or somebody is at somebody's agency. But I am a big fan of like getting to the meat and potatoes of it and bringing that education to people. So how do I accomplish becoming that expert? Surround yourself with people in CS. Anytime a salesperson specifically starts at a company, I tell them, go learn from CS first. Salespeople are going to tell you the sales way to answer things. CS has a crystal ball. They're going to tell you all the stuff that your, your prospects are seeing six months, 12 months, two years down the road. And salespeople are also your competitor. So they're going to give you the sales answer because you're also their competitor as another salesperson. Learn more from CS. Root yourself there. Understand your customer base, the results that you're achieving. And then go back to marketing to help design that collateral and create that collateral. And then go create your own collateral and educate people. I mean, within lines of, of branding, right? But there's nothing stopping you unless your marketing department really is like, hey, don't go make a TikTok video representing us talking about how to increase your, your throughput strategy in your warehouse. Then that's a different conversation. But it's it's easy peasy. You work in logistics, go, go make a 30-second informational video on what somebody should be doing if they're struggling with XYZ problem and like a three-line sentence on like high-level how to solve it. But you have to cross-collaborate and work with other departments. And, you know, we could go on for days about alignment going above and beyond metrics. It has to do with actual collaboration and project management. But that's that's really where I think content creation is so impactful and who should be owning it. Really, everybody, but the people that are owning it right now need to do a better job of it and be more flexible with it as well. So there's a ton to unpack there. Uh, and I'm curious about a couple of things. The, fir the first thing that comes to mind here is you're bringing up TikTok a lot. And um, when I think about B2B uh, engagement, audience engagement, uh, I immediately go, well, most B2B people um, that I think about reaching, they've got to be on LinkedIn, right? But you're saying TikTok. Isn't TikTok consumer-based, uh, right? 
are my is my audience going to be on on TikTok? Um, and I know you mentioned LinkedIn or TikTok, whatever. But how how do you know what the right platform might be when we're creating this content? So let's assume we do have a uh, we have something to share. It's a unique, interesting point, and we we have a couple hows. Let's follow your framework. How do I choose where I create that content? Do you have any idea of where where people might how to think about where to start, or does it matter? Uh, what are your what are your opinions on that? So, it it depends on where your audience lives, right? When I was selling logistics software, those people are not on LinkedIn. And if I would say, what was the joke? We always said like nine times out of 10, if you're, if your prospect has a LinkedIn page, nine times out of 10, they don't have a picture and have less than 50 followers. Like if you had a prospect (laughs) that had a LinkedIn page with a picture and more than a hundred followers, you were like, man, this person's business savvy, you know? Um, (laughs) So they didn't live there. So it it wasn't super relevant. Now where it was relevant was channel partnerships gauging interest from other mm-hmm. companies that could build on top of our API, other people that could be partners and send us referrals. So our biz dev manager, shout out Brandon Burns, did an incredible job of, you know, working through those channels to talk to other software companies that could plug in on top of us and, and other consultants that were active on LinkedIn that worked in the industry and things of that nature. Um, for me, it's crazy, uh, but TikTok to me is evergreen. And that's for one of two reasons. Number one, people forget that millennials are age 25 to 41. Okay. Millennials are not 19 to 30. They're not 25 to 35. They're 25 to 41. I'm not ageist here, but if you're 40, I'm going to assume if you're probably in some decision-making capacity, right? And millennials are on TikTok and you're seeing more and more people jump on TikTok at an, at a, at an older age, right? It's not the high school dancing app anymore. It's really taken hold. And so in addition to that year, two years, three years down the road, that 20, that person who was 25 doing stupid dances on TikTok when they were an SDR is now an SDR manager because at the age of 28 and they're still interacting on TikTok. So not only are you planting the seed and curating your future buying, uh, I would say buying base, right? Or your, your funnel, but you're also reaching yep. the people that you can get to now because more and more people are just using TikTok. The second thing is if you, if you um, are into TikTok and you've been reading the news lately, TikTok search engine optimization capabilities are about to blow Google out of the water. So like you, you can go on TikTok and, and search TikTok SEO. And there's like videos where people are like best restaurant to eat in Vegas. They type that in the search bar. And then there's all these awesome videos that are showcasing Vegas restaurants. Or even like now it's like, you know, um, best framework for a discovery call. You can look that up and you'll find stuff from salespeople um, that some, some that are, you know, gurus, some people that are actually good at their job. Um, so you have to decipher that, right? Take it all with a grain of salt, eat the fish, spit out the bones, but that's with anything, right? It's like a Yelp review. If somebody can hate a com- hate a place and give them a bad Yelp review for a Vegas restaurant, somebody could love it, even if it's not that good and give them a great review. So you have to take everything yeah. with a grain of salt, but that's just like Google. Um, but the way that they're interacting and showcasing their search engine results, as opposed to Google, people think that they're actually onto something. And if you've also read more about TikTok, you understand that that you know, it's a Chinese platform and the Chinese version is completely different than the U S version. It has e-commerce capabilities built into it, completely different engagement tools. Like, I mean, if I was Shopify, I'd be a little scared because I think TikTok for the individual, um, you know, B2C e-commerce, you know, entrepreneur, it's, it's going to, it's going to blow things out of the water, which is going to be crazy. Um, to your point about consumers though, it's just human nature that you as a buyer, 
in a B2B sale are still going to have some of your precognitive buying patterns when you buy. The same way that you go and buy a car, even as a, as a really awesome salesperson, a great cold caller, the same things that you, you know, you're going to buy in a B2B sale, you're going to do when you buy a car. So it's the same thing for TikTok, right? The same way that I'm going to consume, absorb content, take call to actions as an individual, I'm going to do it as a B2B buyer as well. I think it's really only us as salespeople where we get in this cloud of like, and I say this because I've worked in an industry where I'm selling to salespeople and revenue, go-to-market leaders, whatever you want to call it all day long. And I understand there's these frameworks and these emails and these ways that we want to be sold to and buy. But we, we get so closed off in that tech world, tech sales, that we forget that there's these billion other people that are decision makers right. in different industries that will look at a five-page email and not be scared away of it because it's like, we don't know any better. I'm not saying write really lengthy emails, but we get so caught up in like the perfect cold <laughs> email. It's like, dude, it depends though. Like if I'm targeting VP of sales, yeah, maybe I want to make sure like I'm top notch and I'm leveraging some resources. Um, but at the end of the day, dude, people still use their consumer buying habits when they're buying B2B. hundred percent. Um, I think that especially those who sell to sales and sales, sales and marketing, which is a good chunk of the folks that are on LinkedIn, probably a good chunk of the people that, um, are tuning in here, um, you know, revenue champions <laughs> podcast, uh, you know, you probably are aware of all the best practices that tech sales um, and the sales services businesses on LinkedIn will tell you what to do, but there's a whole nother world out there. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, some of the things you're sharing right now are so vital because uh, people don't buy the way we want them to buy. They buy on their own. They have their own process, um, which is, um, what something you talk about often is the, the buyer centric, uh, being more buyer centric, right? You, you just had a post recently around, um, uh, lowering the barrier of entry for your services or your products, um, you know, the gated content movement, et cetera. So, um, I know we're talking a lot about a content creation, but also what about distribution, right? How do I, how do I actually, um, get access to the information that either marketing is creating or, as an individual, that's easy, but um, what, what would be your best advice for teams that might be looking to implement some of the things you shared on your post around moving away from gated and moving away from selling to uh, <laughs> content downloads um, and focusing more on just getting the information that our buyers are seeking? You use a great story with, uh, with Vidyard, you know, they're experts, but any, any ideas on a team that's so punch drunk on MQLs to make that movement away from um, content for the purposes of some vanity metric to, um, to actually lower that barrier of entry. So sorry, I was taking a sip of water revenue champions podcast for the win gold star for actually doing a little bit of research and bringing something up. I've been on a lot of podcasts and nobody's taken the time to look at my LinkedIn. So thanks for that. But yes, I was very passionate about that post because I've actually been evaluating a ton of software tools, um, for the last two months. And it just blows me away. Like I haven't, I haven't bought in a software tool in a while. And I think just coming from Pavilion and understanding how focused we were on the sales process and like the importance of doing things right and making sure you're hitting on all the things you need to, it blew me away. Ryan, how bad salespeople are right now. 
and how much resistance we put in front of me wanting to see a freaking look at your software and just understand if this is a hundred thousand dollars a year or fifty thousand dollars a year, right? Like, give me a I I don't need like I don't need you to tell me it's twelve fifty nine ninety three a month. I don't need that exact pricing. I need to understand what tier I'm in when I'm looking at your product because you don't have your pricing published online. You don't have a five minute overview of your software online and. I'm going to probably piss a lot of people off by saying this because I know we're so drunk, like you said, on the MQL process and our our sales process. And we're so good at this and we're so sneaky because they have to sit through four hours of calls to get pricing because now they're tied to the program and they put all this time in. And so now I can tell them whatever price and they're just going to buy it, whatever your methodology or your trick or your tactic is you're not educating me and you're not really helping me. And it's really frustrating. And I was even sitting on a call with one of our uh, field enablement managers at a company I'm working alongside. And we were like back channeling on Slack during this demo. And I'm like, I had a 45 minute discovery with this guy after a 10 minute call with an SDR. We are 30 minutes into this hour long demo. I still don't know what, what the, Oh no. Sent me. Oh, did I? I think I went on mute there. My bad. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we lost you. Can can you repeat the, uh, we'll get this edited out, but uh, you were were lost right at, and it was, I know you're passionate about that. We lost the audio right when you said, I was on a 45 minute demo. But if you just restart there, I was on a 45 minute demo, and then we can get that cut. My hand slipped and I think I pressed like alt a or something down here. Um, (laughs) all right. So it was, it was insane because I'm working with this company right now, helping them build their sales dev team. And I had their field enablement manager on a demo with me and her and I were back channeling via Slack during the demo because it blew me away. Cause I had sat on a 10 minute call with an SDR after I asked to see a demo, a 45 minute discovery with the guy, and then 30 minutes into the hour long demo. And I still didn't know any roundabout pricing. I didn't know what tier of pricing they fell in compared to their competitors or other people that I'm evaluating. And I had never even seen the landing page of the software. Like you log into the software, you start using the tool. Here's what it looks like. I had not even seen that yet. Couldn't find it on YouTube. Couldn't find it on their company page. Couldn't find a Vimeo link that somebody forgot to unrestrict somewhere along the line. Nothing. Couldn't get any information off G2. And that I, 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 I am just like so blown away. That is bananas to me course yeah i'm still evaluating it. i guess their process worked because i'm still looking at it their price is considerable to what we need with the feature set so yeah they're still in the running it didn't deter me off of it but i'm also a bit of an oddball that might actually deter some people off there are 45 and 50 year old decision makers who out of spite would say you know what this is too much work i just want to know the pricing and take a look at the demo and yeah you can't bend to your prospect and say okay this is the exact estimate but i i actually put out a tiktok video covering this because someone was asking that question they were like Hey, what do you do when you get on a discovery and the person's so adamant about pricing? And and I did a response video on on how I handle that in the past. And if how do you, know, you the, how do you handle that? I mean, I think it's a great I think it's a great topic. Um, what I'm seeing myself because I've gone through this, you know, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but you know, I've been through the the ringers uh, 15 years of this stuff. You can see so many of the practices that are deployed right now are so old school sales trainer stuff like mm-hmm. you don't provide pricing you know you uh you got to hold back um where to your point earlier buyers just buy differently now you know the information 
is available somewhere, we're going to go find it. You know, <laughs> like millennials buy differently than Gen X period. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, and we're the buyers these days. And so when it comes to where these problems persist is that that's, what's been trained for the last like 15 years, you know, you can't share this information because it's going to miss out on an opportunity. How do you know what the range is going to be? It's like, well, I don't think a seller wants to be spending an hour and a half with somebody if they're, if like your, if your price is X and I only have Y to spend right now, that's all I have. Because a lot of these organizations think you can create budget. You can't. In a lot of areas, you can't. You can't just create, you can't create money for people to spend on your product or services. Although all the trainers out there will say, oh yeah, if the gap's big enough, they're going to spend. I don't know. I've been I've been at this for a while, and I just don't think it's true. <laughs> they either have money to invest in things, or they don't. Now you can create budget with success over time, um, you know, sometimes, but not all the all the time. The, but if the budget is not allocate, allocated, you're not going anywhere, right? That's it's just it's just BS in my opinion, right? Just my opinion. You could call it however you want to call it, but you know, I've been through the ringers, and so I see that. But how do you deal with it? These, how do, what's your response on how to deal with that? Because I've got my approach, right? But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Now, I think that's, you know, since we're talking about the house, let's drop yeah. some knowledge here. <laughs> Dude, I love it. <laughs> and yeah, like, so you can, let me, let me be clear. In the, in the term of gap selling, you can show me that this is not just a problem for the sales development team, but here's how we can add value to your AE team for this tool. And then I could take that back to, my senior leaders that I'm cross collaborating with in our procurement department to go, Hey, look, $20,000 is going to lead to a $500,000 ROI, right? As opposed to a $5,000 investment that leads to a $25,000 ROI. You can do that. At the end of the yeah, day, of if, if, but if you I, don't have the allotted budget have... across those departments, I can't do anything. You know what I mean? Like if, if it's still out of our budget collectively, yeah, the budgets are anybody the, here's the thing, man, the sales trainers that say that, have never worked in a sales leadership job where they had to wrestle with a CFO for money. That's why they say right. that. And that's why I'm so freaking tired of people who read a book once and then go, I'm going to be a trainer. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, dude, you got to experience our woes in order to actually speak to us. Because I'll tell you, I've worked with nine CFOs in the last five years. And if you don't have budget for something, yeah. even when you have budget for something, good luck. <laughs> like it is a tough battle. Yeah. CFOs are there for a reason. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And that's for good reason, right? Because that's, uh, that's the plan. And for good reason, you should stick to your, to your plan. You know, you can't just be buying everything that comes your way. And I think that mm-hmm. the, uh, the reason why we get lost in this sometimes is that there are so many organizations that have been lackadaisical, if you will, with their, uh, their money sometimes, right. They, yeah. um, they buy everything that comes to them, the shiny object syndrome with the funded tech companies, especially, uh, mm-hmm. If you're selling to a lot of funded tech companies, but that uh, as we move into this recession, that's going to change a lot too, right? Um, yeah. So anyway, how, how do you how do you um, how do you approach that? How do you approach that conversation if someone's really adamant about? Hey, I got to see price. How do I see price? I'm curious to hear what what your uh, recommendation is there. If I'm a rep, yeah. Especially two two lenses. If I'm an SDR and someone's adamant early on, and then maybe also uh, if I'm an AE, if you don't mind love to hear your thoughts on that. And I promise I'm not stalling. I have a good, I have good lens for both. I do want to say on the heels of what you're talking about, about Gen Z 
um, and Gen X. The trick is that they buy very similarly. They consume content different, but they buy very similarly. The problem is that Gen X is so used to these old school sales training habits, these hide your pricing until the very last minute, withhold information. They're so used to it that they put up with it. Gen, you know, millennials are like, dude, screw it. This is stupid, right? Like, so we're, we're just yep. sick of it. That's the difference. We buy very similarly. It's just Gen X, they're anchored to, to expect that we're kind of getting tired of it as millennials. Um, so that's, that's something that I think is really important for people to understand is it's just, we need to adapt, right? We need to change the way, especially like you said, with information flying everywhere. And if you really want to be that stringent on your pricing, I'll go figure something out. Like you're not the only, only name in the game. So, all right, SDRs, how do we handle it? So somebody really wants to know pricing before they take a meeting. I tell people that you need to have a set amount that you can stay, say our base software starts at this. You need to be transparent with that because you're not doing yourself any favors if you hide it. So our, I, I, you know what, Ryan, I'm really, I'm really glad that you're interested to know what the cost of implementing something like this would be. Frankly, I'm not the best person to speak to about that. I can let you know that our base software starts at $99 per user per month. That should, you should be enabling your SDR team to do that. And then if they start getting into, so if I have six use go, you know, Hey, I, I really appreciate that. You're really interested in understanding like six months down the line, what this would look like. The best person to speak to would be Ryan. He's one of our top account executives. He's familiar with XYZ uh, persona, vertical, whatever you want to say. Um, you know, would you be interested in having that conversation with him and learning a little bit more so you can walk away with all the information you need to see if it warrants a further conversation? But most people don't enable their SDRs. They say, don't talk about price. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're doing yourself a disservice because then you start throwing, you know, trash in, into the pipeline that AEs come back and, uh, you know, mumble grumble about these unqualified opportunities. So you're not doing anybody any favors. From an AE perspective, when somebody's really interested in, in price, what I, what I would typically do as an account executive and what I've advised people that are in a sales function is really just being upfront and reframing that objection in your head. Anytime I talk about objection handling, it's like actively listen to what they're saying, but understand they say something, you should be hearing something different. Even, even at high level SDR objection handling, you say I'm busy. I think, okay, great. I can save you a lot of time and money with whatever I'm offering based on your persona, right? You say, I'm not interested. That means that you know what product or service I'm talking about. And you might even be the decision maker behind it because you know that you're not interested because you know what it is, right? So I hear things differently. I think that's the first step is anytime we're handling objections, we have to change our framing and look at it growth mindset as an opportunity, not a blocker. And so people get adamant about pricing. I go, you know what? I can give you a rough estimate of what it would be based on the information I know now, but I simply don't know enough about your business. If you're saying, hey, I need a contract right now to give you that price. The reason the pricing could change as we go through the process as well is because once you see the software, there might be things you want to take out of the software and not use or things, versions of the software you might want to use. And those prices could change, right? It could go up. It could go down. And at the end of the day, Ryan, if you see the software and you go, wow, this is complete trash. I don't like it. It wouldn't even matter if it was free, right? So I'm more than happy to give you a rough estimate right now with the understanding and the expectation moving forward that it could fluctuate based on your needs. Does that sound fair? Boom, dude, that was less than 30 seconds. And now it's like, yeah, totally fair. So what are we looking at? Well, you're talking about six account executives, six SDRs. You want your directors to both have access and your SDR manager. Um, You know, I could tell you a ballpark you'd be between 1500 to 2000 a month with, you know, three to 5k implementation and onboarding costs for your first 90 days. And then you just shut up and let them give you whatever, whatever objection they're going to give you or, or they'll just move on go, okay, yeah, sounds good. And then you're like, all right, sweet. 
uh, which is the the perfect world scenario. But be upfront and set that in 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 those discovery calls. I love just saying with the expectation that moving forward this could happen. I say that to prevent getting ghosted. Hey, I want you to be okay and realize that I don't think no is a dirty word. At some point, you're going to get busy during this evaluation. You're not going to answer an email. You're not going to answer a call. You're not going to be able to get a contract signed back in my hands by the end of the week, right? I recognize that. It might be the same for me too. So let's just agree that if we get busy, we can tell each other no, but at least keep that open line of communication moving forward. Does that sound Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. Dude, when I learned that in 2019, I can tell you I've probably gotten ghosted three times post-discovery in my life. I have people that yeah. come back to me and would tell me, I can't get this contract signed. We don't have budget to do it. I don't, I don't get ghosted because you set that expectation right. and they're like, dude, cool. This guy's awesome. All right. It's an open line of communication. I don't feel bad for you doing all this work and me saying no. Hey, I can't make that call. I got something going on. Hey, my boss said we couldn't move forward with this. It's too much out of our budget, right? I don't get ghosted. Literally, I count on my hands how many times I've gotten ghosted mm-hmm. since 2019 using that. But we just don't set those expectations and we think we have to play this game where it's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not my prospects bitch and I control the conversation, you know, get out of here. You're in this together. That's why, that's why they don't want to work with you. And, you know, salespeople, only 3% of people in the world trust salespeople and marketers because we're still on different sides of the table. We need to walk around and partner with them. And that's how you do that by saying, Hey, let's set these expectations. If I get married, my wife understands the expectations, right? Me and my wife understand who we are, what we're about and the expectations of this marriage. If we didn't, we'd probably be divorced by now, right? Like that's how it works because things change over time. If you don't have the expectations of what you're trying to accomplish together and also individually, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Software is a marriage. Any sale is really a marriage. That makes a lot of sense. And I love your approach to this because, uh, I would, I would do the same thing. Um, you know, whenever pricing comes up early in office, like, wow, um, funny you use the marriage thing. It's like, Oh, you're, you're already looking to get married, huh? Um, <laughs> you know, the type of thing. It's like, I, I don't mind having, and I think it's really important that you have that fallback on like, look, all of our stuff starts at right. Starting at, mm-hmm. I don't have enough information, but just so you know, we start at this with a budget of this, right? Does that yeah. sound like it's even in the wheelhouse, should we stop a conversation? Or if that's reasonable, we can we can look at where it goes from there. But I don't know why people can't be armed with that. Um, if somebody freaks out at that starting at price, you're, you're not going to magically convince them to, that that number is going to be okay at some point. I don't care how great of a gap seller you are. You know, you're just mm-hmm. not going to get somebody who freaks out about that. Um, I see it all the time. Um, there's no way I can reposition the way someone thinks about price. Price and cost are two different things, but you got to be able to display them. It starts at this um, with the budget of that. That's the the, the 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 actual investment, and then you can start to reframe it on what the actual, like you said before, ROI in in a cost equation. But um, but that's all later stage, and you've got to get the information. And so I think that that's super important. And taking it from the context of a partnership from the beginning is so big, right? So many people try to look at um, our prospect as adversaries. It's like, look, we're here because we're trying to create some miracles together, right? I get that from Townsend Wardlaw, right? Mm-hmm. What kind of what kind of miracles are we trying to make to happen? Um, but we're in this together, right? I can either yeah. help you or I can't. That's it. Um, if you start there with this idea that I'm not here to pull one over on you and and um it's not a zero sum some game right like uh, there's not a winner and a loser in this deal it's uh it's a win-win or 
it doesn't really make sense. Um, that, that, that perspective is huge. And um, I know that a lot of teams really struggle with that, right? Um, and you talk a lot about pricing. So I know we're, we're talking about um, how do you present it, but how would you advise teams on then getting into the negotiation? Because this is coming up often. A lot of your content's about where's it at, how to, you know, how to deal with it. Millennial buyers want to know about it, but what do we do once we get there, right? Um, what's your opinions on, on negotiation? Is, is there a standard rate card or is there flexibility um, when you think you have an opportunity to help some people? So I would say when you're in negotiation stage, um, there's always room. I think you should always have room. Um, I think if you're selling to salespeople, they kind of expect it. You know, um, they do tend to forget about it though. They don't, you know, if you do, if I, I'm a firm believer that if you do your job well enough, you take their guard down of like, Oh, I'm going to make this person sweat to the end of the month or the end of the quarter. We'll get a better deal. It might be 25 K now we'll get it down to, we'll get it. We'll get a 20% discount. If we do it, if they like, you know, like, like it's last Monday, I was getting tons of, or sorry, not last Monday, the Monday prior, I was getting tons of emails, right? End of July, Q3, people are like panicking, like, oh man, Q2 is bad. Got to get these sales in. People are offering me crazy discounts. I was like, hey, we just don't have the opportunity to buy it right now. I told you, I'm not going to be pulling a trigger on anything yeah. until end of August, you know? Um, I think people pretty much almost expect it now. I think you, you know, my old, so here's my thing. My old CRO at 3PL Central, Dan Salazar, he told me, he told me this great concept about negotiation pricing. He said, the problem is, is that people shop with their own pocketbook all the time. So yeah, you might not have a hundred grand a year to spend on software, right? But this is a business. And what happens is if you're familiar with LAX, uh, the airport out here in Los Angeles, it's right on the ocean and there's the ocean and then there's a berm, big, huge bump, right? Big, huge hill that separates the two. So if the tides rise, it doesn't get on the runways and cause absolute chaos because planes can't be taken off and flood on a flooded runway. And he said, if, if the planes start back, back here, I'll do this for the video, right? The planes start back here. And when they take off, they have just enough room to clear the berm, right? But if I'm a plane and I take off right here, I'm going to hit the berm and crash into the water. And for those that might be listening and not looking, I just moved my hand forward a little bit more, right? So give yourself <laughs> that starting room. So it, it baffles me when anybody, and I see it quite frequently, starts off with discounted pricing right away. I've got two major software suppliers who started off with, this is what our price is, but this is what I can offer you if you sign by the end of the month. And you got two weeks left to pull that trigger. Why are you taking all your runway out right now? Start with what we call full yeah. pop. Give me the full pricing up front, anchor it. Let me sit and stew in it a little bit. And who knows? I might go, okay, that's within our budget. No holds barred. I'm just going to buy it. I need to get this thing done. I'm really interested in using this tool. I know you all are going to work well with us. And then you don't even have to give me a discount. You save more revenue, right? If you have to discount, then you have the opportunity because, you know, now we play the cat and mouse game for two weeks and I'm just waiting for that discount. It just depends on the kind of buyer I am. Right. But I think I think negotiations are, you know, it is a healthy thing to have. Um, I mean, again, you negotiate in marriage to some extent. You don't compromise because then the guy walks to Chris Voss's point. The guy walks out of the house with one blue shoe and one brown shoe. So there really isn't any such thing as a compromise. Somebody's, you know, if you give a discount to win a sale, you didn't compromise. You lost the negotiation, right? Uh, technically speaking, you lost it. That's why you're giving them the deal that they want. 
Um, but you, you need to have negotiation and flexibility depending on your growth model. Some companies say, Hey, pay your walk and they're fine with that. And they'll make their, they'll make their nuts somehow. Um, but I think negotiation is really healthy. I think where a lot of people go wrong in negotiation is they end up have they end up a lot of account executives put themselves into a negotiation because they didn't do the right things after the demo. And mm. I have sent this many proposals in my sales career. And for everybody that's listening, I'm holding a big fat zero. I have never sent a sales proposal in my life. Anybody who wants pricing from me can take a contract. It's a unilateral agreement. Mm -hmm. You're not saying you're going to buy, but it has everything you need to see from pricing to what I call the more important stuff. And I say this on the phone with them, which talks about the relationship we're going to have moving forward. For instance, if you want out after your first year, you have to let us know 60 days from your renewal date or you automatically renew at a three month, a three month cycle. And I would tell people that in software because I want them to go, wow, nobody else is telling me that. Do the things that other people won't so you can accomplish what others can't. Jerry Rice quote. I love that quote because it's so true. Be transparent with people and tell them the things that other people aren't going to because they're going to remember that. So I would say that people go, oh, yeah, well, can you send that over? Yeah, Ryan, it sounded like you said you and your boss are going to need to look over it together. I can get a contract together for you. You're not agreeing to anything by taking a contract. It's a unilateral agreement. Me saying, hey, what we've talked about, I can provide upon these terms and conditions at this price. It'll have everything that you need to see from what it costs to our terms and conditions to the implementation schedule and any guarantees, right? The more important stuff, the stuff that's like, hey, how does the contract work? And then if you look at it and you two don't feel comfortable with it or we need to make some changes or even you say, hey, our CFO actually needs to sign off on it. We can make any of those edits later, but at least you have something in front of you to show your boss. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. I would. I w the thing that holds most people back from closing the deal is you have a proposal sitting out there. Now. Chet, this is not going to work if you're working in enterprise sales, RFPs, RFIs, all that. I get it. I get it, right? I've never worked in those industries. Thank the Lord. Um, so obviously, that's that tactical information is not going to work because some, you know, government contracts, we need a proposal. We need an official proposal. It's a price game. I get that, right? So again, eat the fish, spit out the bones. But 80% of the people that I've worked with, I mean, how many people really are out there sending RFIs and RFPs, right? Not a lot. Not a lot. I'll tell you that. Yep. Like it's not your everyday listener probably that's dealing with those constantly. There's a lot of SMB mid-market and even enterprise to some extent sellers out there who are just firing off proposals because that's what we've been told is the next step. Dude, if you're interested yep. in anything and you want to see the price, great. Hey, uh, Ryan, want to make sure, uh, you know, at the end of the demo, hey, Ryan, want to make sure you have a pen real quick. You're asking about pricing, right? Grab, grab a pen and paper for me real quick you're that interested in just yep. seeing the price, you can write down what I'm about to tell you. But if you want to have something physical, you can take a contract, eliminate the middleman, eliminate the friction, eliminate the path of least resistance. Why put another blocker in my way? If you want to see price and all the information, here's the contract. And it, when I sold logistics software, I, I think anecdotally speaking, it felt like one out of every three deals would come back without another conversation just signed because they had the contract in their hands. They can't, exactly. they can't, you can't get the you're, deal you're, if you don't, if you don't have a contract, like what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the point of the, the point of the proposal is so they have the information they need to make a decision, which then requires you to send it anyway. So you're just putting an extra step in the process. Uh, I've never understood the idea of like a formal proposal. Um, uh, you and I are cut from the same cloth there in my own business. I don't even, I don't have a contract, but people who want, uh, it's just like when you're ready, I'll send you an invoice, right? You pay me and then we'll yeah. get started. Oh, you want to know yeah. what you get? Uh, you know, here's an overview again, if you weren't paying attention to everything we've covered so far, 
but when you're ready, here's the invoice you pay me, we get started. That's what I, that's the conversation I have now. But, um, yeah. but when there is contracts involved, it's, it's, it's so interesting. It's like, well, I'll send you the terms and conditions and, um, you know, here's the contract when you're ready to go, all you have to do is sign and we'll get started. Like, I, I don't understand the idea of a proposal. What's your proposal? Um, you know, I, I never really get that. So I, I think that's really interesting. Um, from a negotiation perspective, I love your thought process there. Um, I think that a lot of organizations going back to um, just how great salespeople are these days really struggle with uh, how to think about where to make concessions. Um, I'm not mm -hmm. a big fan of discounts at all, but I am a big fan of revisiting or repackaging, right? So instead of offering something as a discount and somebody wants, it's like, oh, it looks like the, the price isn't going to work for you because it's not going to work out your budget or whatever. Why don't we just revisit what you're trying to get from a package? So right now your price is mm -hmm. X because of X, Y, and Z. Um, if we eliminated this, um, or you can add on, right? I'll, I'll give you some freebies, which kind of provides that level of support, but I'm not a big fan of discounting at all. I, I like to repackage, uh, so different, different framing, um, but you're just still trying to help them feel like they're getting a deal done. But at the end of the day, discounting, um, shows that perhaps you haven't done a good job of, uh, understanding the margins in your business. And, um, and that's, that's again, going back to the sales process. Um, but, but every, every industry, every vertical is so different in some cases, like you said, it's almost expected certain commoditized products, especially. So it's a, it's a really interesting perspective there. Um, so, you know, I know that you got uh, a fun event coming up and I don't want to, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but, uh, to land the plane on, um, some of the things we've covered today. Um, the last question I had was you'd mentioned that some companies may um, uh, may not feel like it's okay for you to represent the brand. And I don't know. Um, I, I know that as a startup guy, being able to develop my own TikTok or develop my own content has never been an issue. But some bigger companies, it seems to be like a big blocker. Any real advice for some folks that might be working for companies that um, if they want to go and take action on some of the things you said, just get out there, create their own content, but they're being blocked. Like, mm -hmm. you know, some people don't even let you post on LinkedIn, for example, without approval. What is yeah. your advice for, for a rep that's working in that type of industry or, or company Qu quit. Uh, these days? Quit. <laughs> quit. You're not going to convince them otherwise. You know this, yeah. you're not going to, it's already hard enough when you're a sales leader or any, any type of like department head to cross collaborate and try to get people to not just understand because getting people to understand is selfish. You just got to get them to think critically, right? Try to get people to think, not understand. Um, it, it's already hard enough. So you're talking about an individual contributor having a tiff with marketing because brand or their brand security officer, because we don't want people posting stuff on TikTok because God forbid they find your personal TikTok and you're wearing a Nelk Boys t-shirt. And so everybody assumes you support some side of the political party because of somebody that was on their podcast. You know what I mean? Like there's so many bad things that can happen for a brand in that regard. But the solve from a marketing perspective is then create brand awareness training for people. Enable the people in your organization 
to look out for these things, right? You're so you're a brand security officer. You're a, a CMO. You're the you're the uh, what do they call it? You're like the holier than thou. You are the fountain of knowledge, unless you're not, which might be the case. Spread your knowledge then, and let people know how to do this properly, so you can enable them. Or better yet get people that actually work your organization to work on creating more social content instead of hiring a bunch of yokels at an agency, which I'm not against agency work. I think agency work can be great, but when you start finding marketing teams that are just, Oh, am I, I have an SEO person that does that. Well, what does the SEO person at our company do? Right. Um, it's just, you have to do better. I think to our original point, you just have to do better. The people that are already doing it have to do better for the individual contributor where it's out of their control though, go somewhere else. If your company is like, telling you what to post on LinkedIn and giving you templates to help drive business. And you can't make your own free thinking decisions to do it. Jesus, Lord have mercy. What, what do those one-on-ones look like? You know what I mean? Go somewhere else. That's, that would be my advice. It's probably not the best advice, but if you're going to be that <laughs> pigeonholed to that extent, like that's like saying like, that's like saying like, Oh, uh, you know, it's, if you don't use my script word for word, you know what I mean? Like as a cold caller, you know, it's the script should be very stuck to very serious. There should be like, key things you're saying in the script that are very important. But if I used, uh, you know, like don't say I, you know, use we or us or partnership language. Right. But if they're replacing, uh, you know, one tiny word here and there or something, you know, I don't know, that's another finicky thing for another day, but it's like, did you got to have some flexibility and autonomy for people, man? Like at the end of the day, like you got sales leaders that are smoking pot on LinkedIn lives, giving sales advice. Like it's, it's not the gen X world anymore, dude. Like people are, people are much more relaxed. People are much more, uh, much less reserved. And at the end of the day, we just want to learn something, man. We just want to learn something. And look, if I'm a prospect, who's going to go through the length to try to find this person's personal TikTok account, which should already be private. Anyway, there's brand security awareness training piece. Number one, make your personal stuff private then like, are we really going to, you know, crap our pants about that? Like, dude, that person obviously needs some help if they're that serious about finding something to complain about. Right. That's a, that's a story for another day, but we have to do a better job of enabling our reps and reps also need to understand. It's not your, it's not the only fish in the ocean. Even, even in this market right now, it's still a candidate market. I'm seeing people get hired as AEs, SDRs making good money right now. People are still hiring. The wrong companies are letting people go. The right companies are hiring right now though. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's a, a really strong place to land today's conversation. Uh, Chet, thanks so much for sharing uh, your thoughts on some of this stuff today. If folks want to reach out to you, uh, clearly TikTok is a passionate channel for you, whether it's personal or professional. Maybe if you guys are good at sleuthing that out. Uh, anywhere else uh, that uh, folks might be able to reach you if they want to continue this conversation or learn a little bit more about the sales doctor? Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, Chet Lovegren. Um, you'll see my full, my full name is Chet Lovegren, AKA the sales doctor with a little stethoscope. Um, but LinkedIn is the best place. Um, I have everything you'd need in my feature section, links to all my stuff, TikTok, Instagram, any free resources, whatever you, you my podcast, the other podcast I'm launching with hatchet ventures, whatever you want to look at. It's all just on LinkedIn. That's like the central hub. Just go to LinkedIn, Chet Lovegren, L O V E G R E N. You'll find everything you need. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and enjoy your daughter's uh, 10th birthday today. <laughs>